right, well, this morning I've entitled the message, Knowing Who You Are. How many of you guys know who you are? Man, I don't see a lot of people that know who they are. Pray. You know what? The truth is, as a Christian, you need to know who you are, because if you don't know who you are, you're going to run into some issues. If you ask anybody who they are, in the United States in particular, most people will respond with what they do for a living. I might say that I'm a pastor. I might say that, you know, who are you? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor or I'm a, I'm a systems engineer. You know, you talk to people, uh, you know, what are you? I'm a carpenter. I'm a baker. I'm a cook. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. We, we describe ourselves, we describe who we are and what we are based on the things that we do. And the truth is, is that this has been something that's happening throughout our entire lives. Think about, anybody ever heard the last name Smith? Guess where that came from? Somewhere back up the chain, somebody's dad was a blacksmith. So they were Smith. You ever heard the last name Farmer? Doesn't take too far to figure out where that came from, right? What about Carpenter? Anybody heard somebody with the last name of Carpenter? People actually took on surnames or last names to describe what they did instead of actually who they were. And the truth is, is that there are very few things that we talk about that identify us as based on what we are rather than what we do. You know, we can think of a few race. You're identified by your race, by what you are, your gender, by what you are, not what you do. But there's not many other things. The only one that I was researching this and looking at, uh, Scottish clan surnames were actually thought about differently. So like we look at English-based surnames, uh, or Anglo-Saxon, I think, based surnames, you see it's based on what they did. But if you look at Scottish surnames, the clan surname was what was important because it identified who they were. They were part of this clan. And actually, people that weren't even part of the, the family bloodline, if they lived in that clan's area and they, and they became part of that clan, they would still take on that surname because it wasn't about any, anything that described them, what they did. It was if they just became part. This is who they were. They were not part of this clan. And I think as Christians, we need to take on this mindset as well and start thinking about who we are, not based on the things that we do, but based on our identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ has nothing to do with the actions that we take. The truth is, is that we need to have a mindset that we do what we are instead of we are what we do. As Christians, we're not righteous because we act righteous. Or we do righteous things. None of us can become righteous by doing righteous things because the one righteous thing that you've already done in your past, and let's face it, we've all done one, already does you in. The, the wage for that is death. So none of us are righteous because we act righteous. The truth is, is that as Christians, we should act righteous because we are righteous. But what Christ has done for us. And the thing is, is that particularly in a society today where everything about us and, and, and politics, I mean, we even have a name for it, identity-based politics. Everything now is, is people trying to identify as, as who they are. Christians, we should have been doing identity-based stuff our entire lives. Who we are is based on what Christ has done, not based on what we do. And that's something that we have to understand. Paul said it like this. I like this in, in 1 Corinthians 6.11. He says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
This was, if you remember this, if you go there in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, the verses before 11, he lists off this laundry list of sins of people that don't get into the kingdom of heaven. Liars and cheaters and swindlers and adulterers and homosexuals and the list goes, it's a huge big list. He says these people don't get into the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting to me because it's obvious he's talking to Christians, right? He's talking to the church that he planted. These are Christians. They're just having a rough go of it. And he says, listen, these kind of people don't get into heaven. And then he says, such were some of you. Which tells me that they're still doing these things, but he's reminding them that, hey, this is who you were, not who you are now. Stop acting like who you were. Start acting like who you are. He wanted them to understand that this is who they were before they were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified. At that moment, they had a new identity. They weren't who they used to be. And Paul was encouraging to live out who they are now. He wanted them to understand that they have been changed, they've been transformed, and they were now something else. As Christians, I think it's so important that we understand who we are because it allows us to behave accordingly, to, to behave from who we are instead of uh, trying to live up to some standard. The reality is, is that uh, before I understood what salvation was really like, I used to spend every day trying not to sin. And maybe some of you are still doing this right now. You, you know the things that you aren't supposed to do, so you, you, you note them in your head and you try not to do them, but you find yourself doing them over and over and over again. And I remember I would lay in bed at night and I would just lay out my laundry of lists of sins. God, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. And then this morning I wake up and do them all, and the next morning I do them all again. And I remember, and, and you guys, have, some of you have heard this before and you laugh at me for this, but I remember when I was in high school, I was trying to do the right things, but I didn't understand who I was in Christ, so I was trying to do it of my own strength. And I remember I, I used to smoke and I kept thinking to myself, man, at least when I'm 18, it won't be illegal. That'll be one less sin. <laughs> it won't be illegal anymore. Because I didn't understand that I should have been living out who I was. I was trying to, to be a Christian based on the things that I did. And it wasn't finally until I understood that it has nothing to do with how I act, but it's been what's been done inside of me. And I began to read my word. And you know what happens when you read your word? You learn who you are. And then as you learn who you are, you begin to live out of who you are. That's why it's so important to read your word. You'll actually find that your mind gets renewed, and then instead of trying not to do certain things, naturally you don't want to do those things because who you are begins to live out in your life. And as Christians, we need to understand who we are and behave accordingly, not as those who are trying to attain holiness or righteousness, but as those who are holy and those who are righteous. And in order to do that, we really do need to know who we are in Christ. Amen? So we'll start in Matthew 4, 1 through 10. It says, When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. One of the most effective attacks the enemy will ever use on you is to begin to question who you are. If the devil used this tactic on Jesus, you better believe he's going to use this same tactic on you. And the truth is, ultimately, every single attack of the enemy is of this nature. If he can get you to question and doubt who you are, if he can begin to get you to question and doubt what's been accomplished inside of you, then he's going to have a much easier time getting you to do what he wants you to do. And the thing is, is that what the devil wants you to do is always at odds with who you are in Christ. So when Jesus is in the wilderness, the first thing the devil does is he questions his identity. We go back to that first one. What does he say to him? Oop, I went too far. He says, when Jesus was led up to the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after his fasting was hungry, the tempter came and said, if you are the Son of God. The first thing he does is questions who he is. He wanted Jesus to doubt who he was. He says, look, if you are the Son of God, and do this. And the devil will come to you and do that same, very, very same thing to you. If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't have sinned like you did yesterday. If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't have these feelings or these thoughts. If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't have failed. If you really are a Christian, you would have gone to church. If you really are, he'll begin to, to poke and prod and begin to question, get you to question who you are. And if the devil could have got Jesus to doubt who he was, then he would have been able to manipulate him. And every day the devil does this to Christians. He gets them to doubt who they are. And he begins to manipulate us and gets us to, to fall onto those slippery slopes. And we begin to make justifications in our mind. We begin to say things that don't make sense or we begin to try to qualify or we even try to defend ourselves to an enemy or to our own heart who's accusing us. Next, after he questions who he was, in the next section it says here he questions him once again. He says the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, once again, he begins to question who he is. And he goes ahead and, and he begins to offer him something. First he offers him bread, which he already was given by the Lord. And if you go down to this section here, he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. So first he questions his identity a couple times, and then he offers him something. Anybody notice something about what he offered him? They offered him something he already had. How are you going to offer the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, the kingdoms of the world, when he's the king of all kings and the lord of all lords? The thing is, though, the devil does that to us all the time. He offers us stuff that we already have. He begins to try to get you to look into some other sin, some other thing, because you want to, to have something fulfilled. But the, you don't realize that you already have that in Jesus. You know, one of the things that, that, that truly that I struggle with is, is, is dealing with food. And on, I always have. And, and I still fight it every day. But then I'm tempted because something tastes good or I want this or, or for whatever reason. 
You know, I can look in, in privacy all kinds of reasons. If I get depressed or I'm trying to use it to fulfill some sort of need, but the reality is, is that all sin is fulfilling a legitimate need with illegitimate means. There's nothing wrong with eating. There's stuff wrong with eating as much as I do sometimes. Or what about sexual sin? We see that all the time. People are looking for love. I mean, you know, love is not a bad thing. But where you get your love can have serious and dire consequences. Because the, enemy, because you're, because the enemy is trying to get you to fulfill a legitimate need. We have a need for love with an illegitimate means. And we see people looking in all the wrong places. And we have a country right now that is, that is uh, just wrapped up in trying to find love in, in all these different areas. And the world's telling them it's okay. It's okay to be that way. And they're being deceived. So many people are looking for fulfillment and acceptance and love in, in all the wrong places. And Jesus, instead of, of, of being manipulated, he was sure of who he was. And he replies to the enemy with Scripture. If you want to deal with what the enemy has to, to, to throw at you, you need to know your words so you can respond with Scripture. He says, listen, all these things I will give you, but Jesus says, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This one right here is interesting to me because he says that uh, the devil came to him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now this one's interesting to me because now the devil is using the word of God against Jesus. He says, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And Jesus, he's smart enough to know that he's not going to get wrapped up in this. The problem is the devil's misapplying the word of God. How many know that all over the place we have people misapplying the word of God to try to be able to do whatever they want to do? We have entire churches that are approving of sin because they're picking out the scriptures that they want to manipulate them to show them to say what they want to say. And the truth is, that kind of stuff scares me because as a leader, if you claim to be a Christian leader, you are responsible for the things that you teach. And when you're leading people straight to hell, claiming to be a Christian, I think they're going to have something to answer for. But the reality is, is that this isn't something new. The devil did it first. He said, let me use the word of God against you, and he used it wrong. And then Jesus said, what does he answer him with? The word used properly. Again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. The reality is, is that we need to be able to, to know the word and use the word to respond to these attacks of the enemy. If the enemy condemns you, remind the devil that there, the scripture says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If he says that you're a coward or makes you feel afraid, the scripture says God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but, a, but of power and love and self-control. If he says that you're a weak, that you're a weak Christian, that you're not going to be able to make it, remind him that the scripture says that uh, I can do all things in him who strengthened me. If he says that you're not savable, you know the devil tells that people all the time, you're too bad to be saved, you're not savable. You're not, you're not good enough. God could never love you. So if he questions your salvation, remind him, the scripture says, for by grace I am saved. 
through faith, not by the things that I've done. If he says that you're unloved or that you're unlovable, the scripture says that God so loved me that he sent his son to die on the cross for me. He knew me before I was born by name. It doesn't sound like you're unloved or unlovable. The thing is, the enemy is always going to tell you lies. He's going to call into question who you are. He's going to call into question your identity. And we need to be firm in our identity in Christ so we can respond. And if you're unsure of who you are, you know, we're going to go through a few things today and hopefully it'll be helpful. But how many know we can't get through the entire Bible in one morning? We just tried to do a 12-week study on the book of Isaiah and I think it took us like 48 weeks. You can't get the, there's a lot of stuff that we need to go through and understand. You need to read your words so you can understand, so you can respond for when the enemy comes against you. Because the Word of God will tell you definitively who you are. And the Word of God is truth. Amen? In Acts 19, 13 through 16, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Did you know Jewish, Jewish priests were no strangers to casting out demons? This was something they did. It was part of their religion. And um, in Luke eleven nineteen, 19, uh, Jesus says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So this idea of Jewish priests casting out demons wasn't something that was new. This isn't something new that they're trying all of a sudden. However, what was, un, uh, uh, what was uncommon for Jewish priests was to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. The problem was that they had no part in the name. The problem was is they, weren't, they didn't have the identity that you and I have. They had no relationship with Jesus, therefore they had no right to invoke his name to do anything. They didn't have the identity that you and I have. They weren't who they were claiming to be. It's interesting, he says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. The devil knew who they were. These demons knew who they were, had no idea who these priests were. And he says, who are you? And here's the problem. When I was first becoming a preacher, uh, first starting in training, and, and before I had even started the church, there was a, uh, a lady that had called, and, and she was obviously going through some stuff, and it seemed like there was some demonic activity going on. And uh, I'm talking to this lady, and she's trying to explain some stuff to me, and, and I actually got to the feeling that she actually felt like I was being flippant with what she was saying, like I was dismissing what she was saying. And I said, no, I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I understand that stuff's real. The reality is, is the answer's the same. It's Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad it is, what's going on, what, what, what is happening, who's in your house, what's doing anything. The answer is Jesus. And I remember as I'm, I'm talking about this stuff, I went to go talk to my pastor because it's really easy to sound tough on the phone, but inside you got all stuff twisted up. You know, like uh, the reality is, is that I'll, I'll stand firm in my, especially now as I've grown my faith and I know who I am and I'm willing to stand up against any demon that comes against me. Because the truth is, is that Jesus Christ is the one that's behind me and greater is he that is in me than, than anything in this world, amen. 
But I remember going to my pastor, and this scripture came to mind. Like, what if I get there? And he's like, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And my pastor said something that, that actually helped me so much. He just said, he knows who you are. That was all he had to tell me. And then it dawned on me that if you're in Christ, he knows who you are. And the difference between any one of us that's a believer and these Jewish priests is that we have an answer when he says, who are you? Because I mean, he's still going to say it. He's still going to ask, who are you? He asked Jesus, questioned Jesus. He's still going to ask, who are you? So what are you going to say? I am the redeemed of the Lord. I'm a child of God. I am saved. I am righteous. I have been given all authority over you. You got to know what to say when he asks, who are you? Do you have an answer or are you going to shrink back and get beat up? end up running out the house naked. That's what happened to these guys. They got beat up and took off out the house naked, even all their clothes stolen. Do you have an answer? Or do we shrink back? I am an heir to his kingdom. I have been given all authority to heal sickness, to cast out demons and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. I am strong. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am victorious. I am loved. Do you know these things? Can you answer these things with confidence and boldness? If you're in Christ, you can. And no matter what circumstance or what scheme or what's going on with the enemy, you have an answer and a response. And the reality is, is that when you stand in that authority, when you stand in your identity of who you are because of what Christ has accomplished, the enemy has to flee. That's who you are. How many of you guys know that, that each and every one of you is a saint? As Christians, we've been given a brand new identity. Romans 1.7 says this, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are born again, you're no longer who you were. You have been remade, you are brand new, and the Bible calls you a saint. Now I know that there's other sects of Christianity that, that have reserved sainthood to be to a subset of people. But if you look at the word, there is, there is nothing to be found like that. This is actually Paul. He's writing to all the Christians in Rome, and he refers to them as loved by God, and then he refers to them as saints. Not just a subset, not just a few. And he's writing to the entire Corinthian church. And when he's writing to this church, he actually states the requirements to be a saint. And it's to call on the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, So the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That was just in case you thought he was only talking to the Roman church. In the Corinthian church, he says what? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with who? All those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And the reason is, is because it's an identity that's been given you in Christ. You hear me say the words over and over, identity, because I want you to understand who you are in Christ has nothing to do with the things that you do. To be a saint, you don't have to do so many miracles while you're alive and so many miracles after you're dead. You guys laugh, but, but and, 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 and that's how sainthood is, is identified. In certain, certain portions of Christianity. But that's not what the Word says. 
Matter of fact, 62 occurrences of the word saint are found in the New Testament. And you want to know how many of them refers to a special type of Christian? Zero. Big goose egg. None of them. It just refers to regular Christians like you and I. Did you know that before you were saved, you were a sinner? Do you know why you were a sinner? Anybody here think it's because you sinned? You weren't a sinner because you sinned. That was your identity. You were born a sinner. Your identity was a sinner before you were born again. The reality is, is you sinned because you were a sinner. You weren't a sinner because you sinned. It has to do with the identity of who you were. And the same goes with us. We're saints, not because of the things that we do. We're not saints because we act saintly or we do miracles or, do, or we do right things. But the reality is, is that how we live our lives, that we live rightly, that we live in a manner that's pleasing to God, that we live as saints is because that is who we are. It's not anything that we could ever earn, not because you lived a perfect and righteous life, but the reality is, is that we should live perfect and righteously because we are saints. The truth is, is that for all of us, we should be doing what we are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's one of my favorite verses, one of the, the first ones that I memorized. And that's a good one to remind yourself if you're being tempted by something or you're getting caught up in something you shouldn't do, remind yourself that you're not who you used to be, that you are a new creation. All that old stuff that we sometimes tend to try to let sneak back in our lives, that's dead and gone. Don't let it back in. You are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And you're not who you used to be. Your identity has changed. And one of the things I wish I could... Uh, people to understand is that when you're born again, you didn't just make a decision. It's not like you woke up and said, you know what, my New Year's resolution is to be more Christian-like. When you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, the heart of stone is removed and a new heart of flesh is placed inside of you. Your old spirit, the old man, is removed and you get a brand new spirit inside of you. It is, you are fundamentally changed in that moment and it is a miracle that takes place. It's a miracle. It's not just some decision you made one Sunday morning in tears at the front of the church. Plenty of people have been in the front of the church in tears on their knees and woke up the next morning and just lived how they used to be because they didn't have a miracle take place inside of them. They had an, an emotional experience instead of a genuine encounter with God. And they, lived, they left the same way that they walked in. But the reality is, is if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in him, a miracle takes place and you are fundamentally different than who you were. You walked in a sinner. You walked out a saint. In an instant, you were changed from a sinner to a saint. See, the thing is, is that living right to attain righteousness is like that cup that's been cleaned on the outside but left dirty on the inside. You remember that parable that was described? You see, it looks good on the outside. From the outside looking in, it looks amazing, but on the inside, it's still disgusting and dirty. Do you know that if you were to take a, brand, uh, a car, a used car, and you were to take it into to one of the dealerships, and they do their, their super detail on it, and they clean it up, and they put a brand new coat of paint on it, and they get rid of all the grease, do you know they still can't sell it as a new car? 
it can look brand new. But it's still not a new car because nothing has been changed. It's still the same old 86 Corolla it was before you took it in. The thing is, though, church, if you've asked Christ into your life, you're not a refurbished piece of equipment. You didn't just get a new coat of paint slapped on you. You didn't just get a tune-up. You are fundamentally made brand new. And getting a hold of this, understanding this, not just an intellectual knowledge. This is why you have to read your words so the, the, the Spirit of God can begin to reveal stuff to you. There's a difference between revelation and intellectual knowledge. You can, re, you can hear what I'm saying right now and intellectually agree with what I'm saying and still not have it impact your life in any way. But you need to ask God to reveal this to you so that you understand truly what has happened. It's not an intellectual thing that's happened. It's a supernatural thing that's happened inside of you. And you need to live from that. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Church, you need to understand that in Christ you are loved and you have been made alive. You were once dead, but you have been made alive. How many know that's an identity change? The enemy is going to tell you that you're unloved, or worse still, that you're not even lovable. Has anybody ever felt unloved? Has anybody ever felt unlovable? The enemy is going to try to convince you of that. He's going to point out mistakes and failures and flaws. He's going to say, this is why no one can love you. This is why no one can, can be around you or, or be friends with you. Or maybe he's going to tell you, this is why no one's going to love you. You're never going to have a relationship. Or he's going to tell you, this is why even God couldn't love you. But the truth is, is that God has a greater love for us than anything that we've ever done in our lives. And I thank God for that because I've done plenty of stupid. But God's love is inexhaustible and it's inextinguishable and it doesn't run out. And he pours it out freely for each and every one of us. And this is the, the love that he had that even when we were dead in our trespasses, understand this church, he loved us not after we straightened up our lives. He loved us not after we started getting right with him. He loved us after we started doing this set level of good things. He says, no, even when you were Dead in your trespasses, when you were the worst you've ever been, the worst of the worst, even then, he loved you. And it's because of that great love that he made us alive together with him. It's not our actions or our accomplishments that gets us there. The truth is, it's actually in spite of these very things. Because the truth is, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. That's what the book of Isaiah says in 64.6. That all... Our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. But the great news is His love for us is not based on the things that we've done. And that's such great news. Just like our love for our children is not based on their performance. We don't love them because they get good grades. We don't love them because they're always polite or considerate. That's how we raise them to be. But that's not why we love them. I don't know about you, but I loved my son before he ever got good grades or was polite I don't know about you, but babies come out manipulative and annoying and loud. But I loved them anyway. 
because he was my son. I didn't have, there was, there was no, there was no uh, stipulation on my love for him. I just loved him, and I still do, even though he gets good grades, and he's a nice guy, even though sometimes he does dumb stuff. Well, that's true. <laughs> I think the things that annoy me, annoy me the most about my son is the things where he's like me. <laughs> it's true. If you guys got kids, that's probably the stuff that annoys you the most about your kids is the stuff that they're exactly like you. And you think, oh, bless my mom, my dad. Oh, it must have been rough. The truth is, is that we love our kids regardless of what they do, no matter how good or how bad the things that they do. And that's never going to change. And Christ loves us the same way. God loves us the same way. It's not based on the things that we do. And then because of his love, he has made us alive with him. And like I said, that means that old man, the one who did all the crazy sinful stuff, is dead and gone. And you have a new spirit inside of you. A new man alive in Christ. A new man that's no longer a slave to sin, but is instead a slave to righteousness. So when the enemy begins to point out who you were, when the enemy begins to point out all the stuff you did as that old person, remind them, no, that person's dead. They don't live here anymore. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am now. And you know that's why we do baptisms? That's why we do full water baptisms? It's a, it's, a, it's a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's you going into the water, being dead and buried with Christ. And then when you rise out, you rise out a new person. And being alive in Christ means that we are brand new. And then we're going to see immeasurable riches because of his grace and kindness towards us. These are ours in him, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are in him. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's good news that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The enemy is always going to try to tell you that you're not clean, that you're tainted. And the truth is, is that uh, you might even begin to think that somehow you're going to have to make up for a failure or a mistake. We might tell ourselves that we have to pray more, that we have to read more, we have to go to church more. Now, these are all good things, and I encourage every Christian to do these things. But you have to get the, the cart before the horse. We don't do these things to get right with God. We do these things because we're already right with God, and we, that's where we want to be. Because our new identity likes being in a room with other people with like identities. We like being in the room with Jesus Christ. We like reading His Word. We like having that relationship because of who we are. All these things are good, but none of them are going to make you holier or cleaner than you are now. Because you have been set aside by God and made spiritual pure. You're already holy. He says he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You were chosen before the foundation of the world because this was always God's plan. And the enemy wants you to do nothing but believe something otherwise. 
1 Peter 1, 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It talks about here that we should be holy and blameless, and then Peter says this, Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. I actually like how verse 14 starts in that one. It says, Be obedient, children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What were we ignorant of? We were ignorant that, that they could be completely free from sin. They could be completely free from those former lusts. The former ignorance, they were stuck in those things. But now that they're in Christ, they've been freed from all of those things. And the truth is that sometimes we let that ignorance sneak back into our lives because we begin to think that we have to make up for something. And we let it back in. But then he says, you are holy because I am holy. Now part of that is because you are holy, you need to, to live the part out. But the truth is, I believe God's telling us you are holy because I am holy. You're not holy because of the things you are doing. You're holy because I made you that way. He's not necessarily dictating how we act, but he's dictating who we are. And once you realize who you are, it'll begin to influence how you act. Peter's reminding him, you are holy, so act that way. And our holiness is not defined by our holy actions, but a result of our holiness is says here that he predestined us to be holy and blameless before him. In his love, he predestined us to be adoption to himself as son through Jesus Christ according to his will. Not because we did something right, but it's because God willed us to be that. And he changed who we are. All because of his glorious grace. Amen. And we'll end here in Colossians 1, 9-14. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The reason I teach this stuff is I'm hoping these very things for you. Just as Paul prayed, I pray for you that, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You may be filled with the knowledge of His will. What is God's will? One of the things that I think... and. <laughs> been around a while you know i've heard heard me say this before because it drives me crazy when people say god works in mysterious ways because he doesn't it's actually laid out pretty clearly in the word of god <laughs> what god's will is and his will is that none should perish his will is that you be whole and that you be healthy his will is that you would preach the gospel His will is laid out to us so clearly, particularly in the New Testament. All the stuff that was a mystery and a shadow to them before has been made clear in Jesus Christ. And we're strengthened to walk in a manner that is worthy of Him. We are strengthened in Christ to bear fruit in every good work. And we're strengthened according to His might. And we do so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We do these things because of the work that He's done inside of us. Because we're made brand new. When you look at a job posting, you ever notice that there's always qualifications that are posted? 
There's always a list of qualifications. And when you look at it, you see that you have to have experience. You have to have this skill or that skill. And you must have this certain knowledge to be applicable to this job position. And the truth is, is that there's qualifications to share in the inheritance of the saints. And this is just a reality. You must be pure. You must be holy. You must be justified. You must be redeemed, which means your balance is blotted out. And you must be righteous. These are pretty hefty qualifications. That's actually what the law pointed out to us, is that we actually couldn't live up to these, just, these qualifications on our own. But Jesus took care of those requirements for us. And it's not because of the things that we did that makes us like that pure and holy and righteous. It's because of what He did. And if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, this means that you are pure, that you are holy, that you are righteous, and that you are justified. So the question, church, is how do we go about making sure that we live out who we are? And the first step is you've got to know who you are. The stuff we look at today is just the tip of the iceberg. You need to read your word and understand and have a revelation of who you are. And I actually promise you that if you'll spend more time in the Word, you're going to find that you have to do less of the, these are the things I can't do, and you begin to see that who you are begins to live out inside of you. And it's not about trying to do these things. It's about doing the things that you are. You're pure. You're holy. You're righteous and justified. So church, let's make sure that we're living that out every day. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.